The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, frustration against Fulham, but Enzo excels. It's Pierre-Emerick, oh my goodness, this is awkward, a striker snubbed. And Chelsea take control in the WSL title race. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. We are then, Lister. It's Monday. Feels like a long time ago since Chelsea played Fulham. In fact, it was only on Friday night. We'll discuss that and plenty more today. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, in the company of the Athletics Chelsea expert, Liam Toomey. Hi, Liam. Has there ever been more conclusive proof that you can't buy a goal? Hello. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly feels like a long time since we've seen one. Sam Parkins with us too. Scored 100 of them in his career. Um, Sam, when are Chelsea next going to get a goal? Are you thinking West Ham next week, the floodgates are going to open? I don't know about floodgates opening, but yeah, I think they'll get a goal at West Ham. Certainly, yeah. All right, that's something to be optimistic about for the rest of the week, listener. Um, let's talk about that game on Friday night first, shall we? Well, it's disappointment because we didn't win, of course. And uh, I think we could all sense the, the excitement. We all, all, all sense the positivity. Was, there was definitely that in the team. Um, I think you have to credit Fulham because they're a well-organised defensive unit. We, we at times did quite well. At times you could see the, the lack of um, connection that you would expect from a team that's got a few guys coming back from injury or been integrated into the team. So it is where we're at at the moment. But um, things to work forward with um, and things to improve. Well, a match laden with narrative at Stamford Bridge. How would Enzo Fernandez cope with the price tag? Would Mudrick dazzle on his home debut? Would Hakim Ziyech stage a sit-in protest in the centre circle? Would Willian score again? With so many imponderables, we were surely guaranteed a game to remember. Uh, No, as it turned out, we were not. Still, five of the SOC crew were on hand to witness it live. Group voice note, anyone? Straight out of Cobham, straight from Stamford Bridge. You're joining us mere minutes after the whistle was blown for the final time by everybody's favourite referee, Stuart Atwell. Chelsea nil, Fulham nil. Um, that very much the story of the night, I'm afraid. There were a few positives. Uh, we are here live because it's not just me, Matt, but Sam's here, Lucy's here, Liam's here and Simon's here as well. Um, Liam, what are you going to be writing about after that? Something Enzo Fernandez related? Because it's not going to be what happened on the pitch, really. Well, not, not the ambient sounds of jubilant Fulham fans leaving the away what end. about Kenny Tete? Yeah, the king uh, of jewels. <laughs> proven tonight, beyond doubt. Um, my main thought was just, this is what transition looks like, isn't it? I kind of feel like Chelsea are almost three teams in one right now, where you've got the team of players that were here before and have kind of had their seemingly their confidence completely ground down by everything that's happened over the past year and then you've got the team of players that Bowley and Clearlake have bought who are being brought on you know kind of fielded wholesale it feels like and then the team of players that are like steadily working their way back from various injuries and it's like never the never the three shall meet there were a lot of missed connections today and passes going awry runs not made it just looks like a team of expensively assembled strangers because that's what it is all right, let's go to Mr. Glass Halfful himself. Enzo Fernandez was good, Simon. Who? Uh, yes, he was. Um, I appreciate the fact that he's got a bleached blonde hair because, well, obviously for me, I appreciate anyone with hair. But, but secondly, you can easily spot him on the pitch. Um, it makes him a lot more easy to, to follow. And to be honest, you could easily spot him anyway because 
unlike Jorginho, I felt there was a big contrast. He was moving the ball quickly, and that is just a taste of things to come. Given the week he's had, uh, the month he's had, for him to play like that, I thought was pretty impressive. He also won a few balls in the air. I don't know whether you guys noticed that. I was like, he's a small little chap. Uh, but um, but he won a few headers in there, got stuck in. Can I just shout out Badia Schill again? I mean, there's a lot of criticism for Chelsea signings, have they overspent on certain people, but I don't think anyone can deny that they've got themselves a bargain already by the looks of things. The guy looks absolute quality. Um, and given given some names have obviously created more headlines than others, this guy, he, he's gone under the radar and he looks great. I feel like he might be the tallest man that I've seen on a Stamford Bridge pitch for a long time. <laughs> He he's play in the NBA. <laughs> he's absolutely huge. He's a giant. Sam, um, Chelsea didn't buy a striker in the window. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang oh, yeah. wasn't, wasn't in the squad. Fofana came on at the end and, and added something, but we, we can say definitively now that Kai Havertz is not that number nine, can't we? Oh, don't do that. Um, yeah, I think so. He ended up in the, the ten, didn't he, uh, towards the end. I thought he overcomplicated the best chance of the game. I thought if you get to the ball early there, the bouncing ball, and get your touch, then it gives you an array of options. He goes for the hardest finish there. It's amazing if it comes off, but you've got to get it beyond the goalkeeper and the two guys running back onto the line. So, yeah, not his night. I thought Fulham gave a bit of a masterclass in how to defend in a 4-4-2. I thought, thought they were excellent without the ball. And um, we we're making the point in, in commentary. They're a cohesive, structured team that all know their, their jobs and the partnership's all over the pitch. Chelsea don't have that tonight. And... It may sound harsh, but it's a bit of a step backward from Manfield when they were really cohesive. But that's out of the necessity of having to put Enzo Fernandez in, having to start Madrid, still having injuries, and so on and so forth. So I don't think it's a criticism of Graham Potter, but we were starting to see the fruits of his labour on the training ground tonight. As Liam said, it was just a mismatch, wasn't it? There was no fluency to the performance. Uh, if we're going for, for positives again, I don't know why I keep looking for positives. That's, that's just me, I guess. Uh, Rhys James got an hour. Ben Chilwell came off the bench. Raheem Sterling uh, made his return from injury as well. So there's going to be more options, at least for Graham Potter. And as we've been saying, no midweek matches means more time on the training pitch. He's got nothing but options now, Graham Potter. Um, it wasn't quite Rhys James, I didn't feel like. He, he certainly didn't, didn't look at full power to me, but there were a few surges up the right. Enzo Fernandez found him with one really gorgeous switch of play in the first half. I think there's going to be plenty more of that to come. In general, we just saw flashes, didn't we? Uh, the, the only positives were individual moments. I actually thought David Datro Fafana had probably his most impactful minutes so far at Chelsea. He was, a he was a bit of a nuisance when he came on, almost scored a really nice goal, really good composure. Um, but ultimately, I think, come back to, to what Sam said, uh, we're going to sound a little bit like Graham Potter here, but you've got to credit Fulham. I do think they did come here with a really good game plan. You can tell they're a really settled group. Marco Silva's a very accomplished tactician and they clearly felt they had a point to prove on a night when Chelsea were putting all their new toys on the pitch as well. You could see that. Um, if you want to go full Potter, you needed to have said that Fulham were in a good moment and that was what made it more difficult to play against them. Uh, I thought Noni Madueke, Simon, had some good moments second half. He looked like he can add some into this team. Yeah, uh, another debut, sort of racked them up. Um, yeah, I thought he looked I thought he looked all right under the circumstances. I, I personally, you know, the, the fact that you brought up Fulham again, I had a great view of the needle between the two dugouts and Fulham... Fulham played like their coaching staff. From Marcus Silva to Bowen Morto, of course, played in this fixture. 
I think it was the last one off actually just now um, taking the acclaim with the away supporters um, he was really fired up there's a lot of exchanges of words um, and Marcus Silva even at the end had to go at the fourth official one more time I mean they were really fired up for this um, and I thought their team represent like I said played like their coaching staff they were magnificent as first time I've seen them in the flesh I wasn't at Craven Cottage I was really impressed by them really loved um, the reception William got he put in another fine display against his old club why they haven't already sorted out a new contract for him I don't know because I would have thought they'd have done that already um, he certainly deserves it the way he's playing but but yeah sorry I'm sure Chelsea listeners don't want me to talk about Fulham Madwacky yeah it looked right but I mean it was only his first sort of run out I look forward to seeing more from him in the future all right, that'll do from Stamford Bridge. Let's head back to the studio now for some more reaction. When I say the studio, I mean all our spare rooms. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Uh, I think that was pretty comprehensively. And one thing we didn't talk much about was Mikhailo Mudrik going off at halftime. That's because he was under the weather, right? Yeah, Graham Potter said after the game that he'd had a heavy cold all week. And that, in addition to the fact that they're still ramping up his minutes anyway, and were planning to give him a maximum of an hour, like Reese James, meant that he he ultimately came off at half time because he was he was complaining of being heavy legged and just generally not not quite at it. And I think you could see that looking at him from the first half. Although he also didn't get the ball very much um, because of the way Fulham were playing and, and Chelsea didn't do a good enough job of finding him. Uh, Sam, with all respect to David Fafana, who's clearly one for the future, did, did this game just? Uh, it- raise the question again of why Chelsea with all these signings didn't focus on on buying a striker yeah a, a little bit obviously he had a a really presentable chance didn't he late in the in the game his first couple of touches were brilliant actually in that move to open up the opportunity and I just felt uh it was Leno kind of scrambling back trying to kind of grab at his ankles made him scuff his strike somewhat but yeah, again, Havertz had probably the two best chances of the game. Um, he did some some good things in the match. I enjoyed some of his movement on the on the shoulder of the defence. But yeah, I thought it was bad decision making for the one he tried to to lob. Didn't understand that. I thought he could have taken it under his spell and maybe slotted it. And he ended the game kind of playing as a number eight, I think. So be interesting to see if potentially he will get a bit of a run in one of his more favoured positions just off the front. Um, Fafana is the most obvious option to go up top. I suppose Jao Felix could play centrally um, at West Ham. There's there's options there. I think there's, yeah, as the days go on and people return from injuries and from suspension, there are starting to be a little, a uh, few more options for, for, for Graham Potter. So how he'll go at West Ham, I don't know. But, I think it is probably time to take Kai Havertz out the firing line. And, you know, I've been infused by some of his performances and, and hoped that it was going to be the start of a consistent run. But I thought that was a step backwards again on Friday night. And, yeah, I, I don't think he necessarily has to come out the team completely. But I think it's time to maybe look at another option as the nine. <laughs> Liam, um, your reaction to that that shocking <laughs> indictment of your favourite player in, in the game of football? Well, no, I, look, I I agree in isolation. Havertz hasn't played well enough, really, to keep his spot. Certainly, as a number nine, I wrote that he he was looking less viable with every passive performance. I thought he was very passive against Fulham. What I didn't realise until I saw the replay was that chance where 
Enzo Fernandez plays the ball forward to Mount. He crosses from the left and, and Havertz puts it over. I didn't actually realise Tim Ream got a touch on that oh, until I watched the replay. Mm. And it was excellent defending um, because I think it probably goes in um, if that doesn't happen. But the one thing I would say against dropping Havertz right now is that I want to at least get another look at him with Joao Felix, given the way that they played for an hour against Fulham. Because Havertz wasn't playing well up to that point, and then suddenly it looked like he woke up, and they had this natural chemistry. Presumably they've been training together since, and maybe had a chance to build on that. So I I would at the very least want to get another look at that in the games to come, before I completely wash my hands of, of Havertz in the forward line. <laughs> Uh, Liam's post-match pieces up on the Athletic now. Uh, you talk about there, there being kind of three teams within this team, Liam. Incredible stat as well that, that Chelsea have fielded a debutant for the sixth successive game against Fulham. That's a, a Chelsea record and, and surely coming to a straight out of Cobham quiz near you uh, fairly soon. Um, is the positive maybe that Graham Potter's got the flexibility now in terms of there not being that much to play for to carry on trying to find the perfect balance within these three teams. Should should he be making fewer changes for, for the forthcoming games that, than he has been in the past, do you think? Yeah, I think he should be, not just because of the reduced risk of injury with the, the lesser match load, but also because Chelsea needs some sort of stability. They need to start creating at least an idea of what the next Chelsea team is because there's nothing at the moment. It's just a model, an incoherent model of expensively assembled talent. You know, each week it feels like we're writing about a new little experiment. Uh, My mind goes back to the Jao Felix Havertz one, but every week there's something that maybe looks vaguely promising and then loads of other things that don't work because the combinations are always changing. Sometimes the system's always changing. And I... You know, I've said this for a, for a while. I I don't think the standard of coaching in the Premier League has ever been higher than it is right now. When you've got guys like Marco Silva at Fulham and Unai Emery, Julian Lopetegui at clubs outside the the big six, I just think there are no free lunches in the Premier League anymore. And if you have this level of instability of personnel of what you're trying to do from game to game and week to week it's really hard to beat settled teams. Fulham are one of the more settled teams in the league and they want and it's no coincidence they're one of the better teams in the Premier League this this year. They know exactly what they want to do every single week. They came to I know Marco Silva sort of half joked after the game that it was hard to know who was going to start for Chelsea, but they had a very clear idea of how to nullify what Chelsea wanted to do. And Chelsea are going to face that most weeks because that is just the standard of tactical preparation that is in the Premier League now. And, and you need you need real combinations, you need real familiarity to be able to overcome that. Sam, at, at 10 points off the top four, just as Chelsea were at the start of the weekend, A, are we writing that off now? And, and B, if so, what are you wanting to see from, from Graham Potter and from, from the team for the remainder of the season? I don't think you can ever write it off. You can be hopeful that they're going to go on a winning run, but from the the look of the performance on Friday, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, you know, I spoke about the, the the forward steps they took in that performance at Anfield in terms of them looking like a well-coached, better, cohesive unit. And I think for the reasons that Liam stated today and also in his piece, it, they took a bit of a backward step on, on Friday. I noted down here there was some tactical stuff in the second half. Kukurea coming into midfield, I thought in possession, was something we hadn't seen 
before, I don't think, since Graham Potter's come to the club. So they tried to unlock that that door. But yeah, Fulham were, uh, were very good. They had partnerships all over the pitch, knew their jobs. I thought they targeted Chelsea's left, clearly, especially in the first half. And that was problematic for, for, for Chelsea to overcome. So for the rest of the season, I don't think it's necessarily about having a a settled 11. It's about getting his philosophy through to the players. It's about getting that cohesion. Some of those patterns that we saw at Anfield, it's about them getting used to exactly what he wants in and out of possession. Um, but of course, results are going to be important for the supporters as well, for optimism moving ahead. And if he can free up some of the forward players to start scoring some goals, all the better. Another derby coming up for Chelsea then at the weekend. It's at West Ham, the early kickoff on Saturday. We'll look ahead to that on our Thursday pod. And now then, you might have heard that Chelsea's squad is somewhat bulbous. Uh, that was a problem for Graham Potter and a certain Gabonese after Friday's Champions League registration. More on that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So, Chelsea have submitted their squad for the Champions League knockout stage ahead of the Blues' last 16 tie with Borussia Dortmund, the first leg of which is next week. We knew only three of the January recruits would make the cut. They are Joao Felix, Mikhailo Mudrik and Enzo Fernandez. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been dropped from the squad. Uh, Sam, obviously that's going to sting him, but, but the extra bit of spice onto this is that it's his old club Dortmund who Chelsea are playing as well. So that's kind of even more humiliating for him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Although, you know, the way his career has gone in the last year or two, I don't think it is as big a blow as it maybe could have been. But just looking at the squad, you know, I think of Zakaria, Chukwameka, both done well, don't get me wrong, in flashes, had some really good games. But, you know, that's um, a startling omission, isn't it, when you think of some of those players that have got in the squad in front of him and the amount of midfielders that have been been listed. So, and I think back to early part of the, the Champions League campaign this season, he scored that brilliant goal in, in Milan. Um, at that stage, I thought, cool, he's looking like a, a really good addition. He can make a difference in some of the games as that out-and-out goal poacher. So... It's a real fall from grace. You know, obviously we're not privy to what's going on on the training ground at Cobham every day. I stuck around for Graham Potter's press conference after the game against Fulham and he said he trained very well on the day and had, I think he'd flown off to Milan, was it, or, or somewhere for the for the weekend. Um, granted, obviously, the weekend off. So I have to see how his attitude is in the in the, in the the days coming to see if he's going to be involved in in any Chelsea squads moving forward. But yeah, it'll be a blow for the player. But like I said, it's not as if he's been absolutely flying in the last few weeks. It's not come out of nowhere, I would suggest. Does he play again for Chelsea, do you think, Liam? And and what's the best way to to treat him around Cobham day to day? I think it's an open question and it's one that comes back to who made this decision to leave him out of the Champions League squad. Now, Graham Potter was asked pretty directly about that in the in the press conference that, that Sam referred to and, and he insisted it was his call, ultimately, that Aubameyang would be the one to make way. 
there's two ways of looking at that. If it, if it is Potter's call, I think it shows that he's got the capacity to be brutal and to make big big decisions, which is an an important quality that he'll need if he wants to last in this job. The other aspect of it is, that, you know, if it's if it's not his decision, it raises bigger questions. Um, if if Chelsea are are making a club decision to try and force Pierre Emerick Aubameyang out, then what does that say about Graham Potter's authority as head coach and his ability to make those kind of decisions himself? But we don't know that either way. We won't know for a little while. As for him featuring in squads again, I've thought for the last few weeks his body language didn't look great, and and the worry, the the worry I think that a lot of people had when when Potter replaced Tuchel so soon after Aubameyang's move was that Aubameyang would be essentially thinking, this is not what I signed up for. I don't want to be here. I came to play for, for my old coach and now this is a completely different thing. And I I didn't think his body language had done much to allay that question or allay that concern over the last few weeks. And so I, I think, as Sam says, from a football perspective, I don't think he can have many complaints, but it's it's particularly startling as a decision when you consider that, yeah, maybe theoretically they could have taken out Marcus Bettinelli and avoided this, although we know that Edouard Mendy is out for a while as well and apparently will miss both legs of the Dortmund tie. And the fact that they don't have any convincing forwards in terms of reliable goal scoring. So it looks to me that this is heading towards, at the latest, a divorce in the summer. Whether it happens before then, I'm not sure, purely because the options are very limited. We mentioned the three, Samu, who made the cut of the new players, Mudrik, Fernandez, and Joao Felix. Mudrik and Fernandez pretty pretty nailed on. Felix was the one that was up in the air for me. Um, we mentioned that Aubameyang's obviously going to be disappointed. Benoit Badia-Shiel will be as well, won't he? Because he's looked very impressive in his first couple of Chelsea games and, and they'll miss him against Dortmund. Yeah, he's, he's not put a foot wrong, has he? He's been... Absolutely excellent alongside Thiago Silva. So yeah, that was a, a bit of a toss of a coin. And and of course, we're all kind of enthused by what we saw from Jao Felix for an hour. But I don't know if I said it on the previous podcast. You know, <laughs> we often see that from debutants. We saw it from Mudrick. I know he had illness before the, the, the Fulham game, but uh, that's just a, a snippet from Jao Felix. Hopefully he can go on and have a, a really good end to the season. But you know, it might not. You know, it might not get that good um, as consistently as he was against um, Fulham on his on his debut. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But Badia Shield, yeah, that's really unfortunate the way it's played out, the way that a decision had to be made because his performances have been exemplary, and he looks like a snip at the the price that Chelsea have paid. Would he have been in your three, Liam? I tweeted as much, and uh, it wasn't particularly popular. Among, I think there's there's understandably a lot more excitement around Joao Felix, particularly in light of what he did for that hour against Fulham. But it's worth remembering that when Chelsea won the Champions League two years ago, it wasn't primarily because of their attack. It was because they were probably the best defensive and pressing unit in Europe. And defenders are only one part of that. Of course, Jorginho Kante were, were fantastic at screening in the midfield as well. The forwards were very good at pressing from the front. But fundamentally, they had that foundation in that back three. And, and if Chelsea have want to have any hope of going deep in the Champions League again this season, they need a foundation that is really, really difficult to breach. And 
They've kept three clean sheets in a row with Badia Shield and Thiago Silva. It, it looks like, I said this in my match piece, it looks like the only reliable partnership in the team right now. I think they complement each other really, really well. Thiago Silva brings the experience, the, the reading of the game. But Badia Shield, I think, looks calmer next to him. He's, he picked the right moments to step in against Fulham. He wasn't impetuous. He's he's looked pretty unflappable, to be honest. And he's looked good on the ball in terms of his passing as well. Maybe they're making the calculation that we've got Wesley Fofana coming back. You know, we're, we're pretty well stocked in that area. And we need that creation from Shao Felix further forward, which is fine. You can make an argument either way. I never realistically expected Chelsea to leave Felix out because how much did they pay for this guy for five months? You've already lost three games. You want to lose at least another two. Um, I think it was it was inevitable, but it's pretty hard on Badia Shield. Yeah, certainly is. So Badia Shield and Aubameyang won't be involved. The first leg of Borussia Dortmund and Chelsea's last 16 meeting in the Champions League is on Wednesday next week. That's the 15th of February. Well, there was a significant Chelsea win for one Blues side this weekend. We'll tell you about it next. Scored some good goals, conceded some poor goals, but I've said it time and time again, this is a tough league and I think every week we want something perfect. I think it's that much harder to get wins across the league as you're seeing um, week in, week out. So I'm, I'm just delighted to have three points today. We are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. That's what the Chelsea women's team could justifiably sing after Sunday's 3-2 win against Spurs at Brisbane Road. Jess Carter nodded the Blues in front early on. Bethany England scored and didn't celebrate. Thank you uh, for 1-1 shortly after that. And then, Liam, Lauren James did something pretty spectacular. Wonderful solo goal. It it brought to mind Edin Hazard for me, but just another example of, of what a great season she's having. Yeah, she just glided in field, didn't she? And, and and almost created an avenue for herself to the edge of the box out of nowhere. And then a remarkable finish on her left foot, kissed off the inside of the post. It was a, it was a fantastic goal, a real moment of quality. And I think this game was, was a reminder as well of just the overwhelming firepower that Chelsea possess around Sam Kerr, not exclusive to her because... Gura Wrighton took her goal really, really well as well. And then and then you can bring Frank Kirby off the bench <laughs> to just cause problem after problem. And, you know, Chelsea's defence was a bit sloppy, I think, at times. I mean, Beth England scored a really nice goal. Maybe inevitable that she'd score, but nice work from Drew Spence. The second goal Chelsea conceded was really defensively sloppy, but it doesn't matter when you've got that ability to to score your way out of trouble like they have. Sam, um, Guro writing is kind of your Kai Havertz for Liam, isn't she? Um, that was an excellent finish from from her too. Yeah, there's a good gif as well. I don't know if you've seen that from her and Millie Bright turning up at a game a few weeks ago where she does some weird little twirl with her finger. So she's gone up in my expectation, even even greater heights. Yeah, lo- lovely finish. Um, I wanted to come in on, on Lauren James. There's a George Best goal 
<laughs> I think it's at Old Trafford when he runs in a straight line for what seems an eternity. Know what I mean? Yeah, and everybody's trying to break his legs while he's going through. Yeah, they're playing against a team in white. I couldn't find the actual team, the opponent today, just before we came on. But he fakes the shoot, fakes the shoot, fakes the shoot, and everyone kind of goes for it, similar to how Lauren James came in off the, the opposite flank and obviously got her strike away of her left foot. And it also made me think, um, is she more two-footed than Reese? And then as soon as I noted it down... I thought of that wonderful goal we got at St. James's Park. Must have been last season, wasn't it? Plucked one out of the sky, whipped it top corner with his left. So that one's still open to debate. But yeah, she's an incredible talent. I like that Emma Hayes was a bit hard on her. Kind of Jose Mourinho, Joe Cole vibes after the, the Liverpool goal. Just reining it in a little bit. The work she's got to do without the ball. Uh, some stuff she wasn't happy with towards the end of the game. And it sounded like that was kind of across the board, that it wasn't the best performance, but a great result against against Spurs and, and obviously gives them a nice cushion at the at the top now. And also, Lauren James scored an exact replica of that in training the other day. Unless I've gone mad, I think I saw them them tweet it on, on the socials, scoring a, a very similar goal at Cobham, I think, on Thursday or Friday. So, I mean, she is bring in incredible quality and, and and got that consistency that we hoped she would find this season. Brilliant weekend actually, Liam, wasn't it, for Chelsea? Because Man United and Arsenal both held to goalless draws. United were top of the table uh, before they couldn't get past Everton. Arsenal failing to score for the first time in a year, I think, in the league, uh, drawing nil-nil with West Ham. And, you know, United haven't been here before, have they, at the sharp end of a tide to race. Arsenal, we know the manager's not happy with the fact that they didn't get any real transfer business done in terms of solving their problems up front. So it's looking good for, for Chelsea again. Yeah, they're in a commanding position in the table. I think the one area where Emma Hayes will probably be looking for significant improvement is, as I mentioned, that defence, because they haven't been quite as mean at the back as United and Arsenal have been. And that... That's the reason why the goal difference is still close because Chelsea are, are quite comfortably the top scorers in the division. So I think that might be the focus for, for Emma Hayes for the rest of the campaign. Just just try and find a way to tighten up at the back as as they were last year. You know, their, their back line was so, so solid, especially from open play. And they know that their attack will get them usually assured of wins against most teams. Uh, they've got a big game on Thursday night. They go to West Ham in the Conti Cup semi-final. And then on Friday, the draws made for the quarterfinals and semi-finals of the Champions League. Uh, no games for the men's under-21s or 18s this weekend, hence why you didn't hear me say elsewhere in Chelsea news up until this point. And that is just about going to do us for today. Uh, Liam, what's on the agenda for the rest of the week? Yeah, so we're looking to do a big piece on the Aubameyang situation, which was initially going to be around the Dortmund tie. Not much point in timing it for that now. Should have gone to Milan at the weekend, Liam. That'd have been. <laughs> yeah, that would be a very athletic style piece as well on holiday with Pierre. Um, <laughs> worth flagging up as well that Simon has an interview with Cesaris Pilaqueta coming this week in honour of his 500 Chelsea appearances. So I think that will be very well worth a read whenever it goes live. And then beyond that, we're just. I think we're gearing up towards the Champions League now, or at least I am. Simon's doing the West Ham game, so I'm not, I'm not really focused on that as much. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, Sam, you got anything interesting lined up this week? 
Uh, not really, to be honest. Um, some Football League stuff. I'll be reflecting on Jody Morris and Ed Brand's managerial defeat on their debut at uh, Newport for the podcast I do on Swindon Town and then gearing up for the um, the West Ham game at the weekend and working on that one. So pretty quiet week, but yeah, looking forward to an abundance of goals at the London Stadium. Yeah, we're looking forward to getting some midweek matches back on the agenda. That'll be next week. We'll be back on Thursday with another show. Until then, have a great week and we'll speak to you soon. The Athletic.